0: This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions and conclusions. Please talk to your healthcare team regarding your specific situation. Hello and welcome to the Speak Gyno podcast. This is Nee Gutenfelder. On today's episode, I'm pleased to have joining us is Tanya Cordova. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, represented with teal and white colored ribbons. We wanted to take this opportunity to highlight a story specific to cervical cancer, as well as offer a caregiver's perspective, so I reached out to my friend Tanya. We met a few years ago at a Zoomathon fundraiser for the National Cervical Cancer Coalition, the NCCC. Fundraiser caught my attention, not because I was any good at Zumba, (laughs) but because it was the first local cervical cancer chapter in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex here in Texas. I remember looking for local support when I was first diagnosed in 2007, and there wasn't one at the time. I come to find out that Tanya started the Fort Worth chapter after losing her mom to cervical cancer. I know that you'll find Tanya's story to be very moving, so I'm happy to have you here. Thank you, Tanya.
1: Thank you, Ni. I'm very happy to do this and very grateful for for this opportunity and i want to thank you for starting this podcast as well so thank, thank, you thank you so you. much Tanya, if you could take us back
0: to the beginning and tell us about how your mom's story got started.
1: Sure. This was in November 2011, and I remember getting the phone call as if it was yesterday. I was in class. I was working on my master's at that time, and it was a phone call from my mom, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, I'm at the clinic, and they're telling me if I don't go to the hospital immediately, I'm going to die. At that point, particular moment i went very numb and i would say that it was definitely an adrenaline mode i very quickly you know left my class went home i told her you know okay just breathe in breathe out like we're gonna get through this and i'm gonna be home in the next 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and meet me at home so we uh, i got home and we immediately went to the hospital she was crying the entire time i was trying to be very strong in that moment i of course held her very tightly i was the driver to the hospital it was difficult for me it was during rush hour so as you can imagine there was just lots of emotions going on at that particular moment for me we got to the hospital and over the next couple of days she had several blood transfusions and had a cat scan and various other things um, at the hospital that's how this journey started for my mom. Mm -hmm. I think the first immediate thing that, that you find out is that it's very overwhelming from a lot of various aspects As soon as we left the hospital, I got a bill for over 20k. Mm -hmm. We were only at the hospital for two to three days. You know, that was the beginning. It was very overwhelming for me and for my brother and my family. At that time, I had just graduated college in 2011. So I was not financially secure. And I unfortunately could not have her as a dependent in my, with my insurance. That was a very stressful, as a caretaker and kind of the first I would say this whole experience you can kind of categorize the situations between transactional and then like from a relationship with the patient perspective this was sort of the first transactional transactional experience that was very stressful for me you know I can talk a little bit more about how I worked through that but for this particular podcast you know Anyone that wants to ask me, I'm I'm willing to help walk them through how I figured out more of the financial aspect of it. So after that, we did research on the various hospitals in the DFW area and found the doctors that she would need to look at her diagnosis and do further studies. And that same month, we were told that she had stage four cervical cancer. When we heard that news, no one in our family, immediate family, nor... Her extended family had been through cancer before, mm-hmm. but we did know some friends and friends of family members that had gone through cancer, specifically, uh, two particular individuals that had recently been through breast cancer. Both of them went through treatment and survived and were living, you know, as normal of a life as you can have after the various treatment plans. So my mom, she did not lose hope and I think it was because she had those positive outcome examples around her with these two particular individuals and I think that helped me out a lot as well. Mm because, you know, when you're given a diagnosis, all I heard was cancer. I I didn't know what stage four meant. I didn't know all of the long terminology that they give you that was just so overwhelming they gave us like a 20 plus page report on the diagnosis I was like do I need to go back to school and study to be a medical professional
0: patient and caregiver (laughs)
1: yes it's almost as you know there needs to be like a course or something just to even feel comfortable with the various data sources that you're given so I would say that's number one was the financial being overwhelmed from a financial perspective and and the num- number two thing would be being overwhelmed by all of the medical jargon and terminology. That was very overwhelming for me as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, not having a medical background myself, that did not help either. At that point, the easiest thing for me was to go to my faith, to pray. My mom also did the same thing. We prayed quite a bit and we had a lot of family members that would come visit us to pray as well and i felt that that was very helpful and that was sort of my go-to when we were having very stressful days particularly praying the rosary uh, was very helpful for us in the next coming months she went through chemo i would say about four months of doing that we then went to the doctor again to see how that was playing out we found out that the chemo was not working the next step was to do radiation at the same time we learned that it had spread to her brain. That was definitely another very stressful time. I would say that that's whenever things went downhill very quickly. From a relationship perspective with my mom, like I had just never seen her that devastated and that sad and that down before ever in my life. That was the second time that she cried Mm -hmm. in front of me. The first time was when she called me and we were on our way to the hospital the first time right the second time was that she broke down was during that visit Mm -hmm. I think that was really hard for me because you as a caretaker you just feel helpless sometimes yeah and it's like not in your control so I think in that moment all I need to do was to give her a big hug and just hold her and hold her really tight for as long as I could and until she calmed down a little bit and it was just really hard for me to see her hopes just diminish and she just like had like no hope after that. I just feel this is where I I guess looking back and I reflect on that moment where I, I think that your mental state is just so critical for the entire treatment process mm-hmm. and trying to stay positive is really important I know it's harder to do it than to say it but I guess in my mind I just think about you know when she first got the news she still had a lot of hope because she had so many positive examples around her right whereas when they told her like pretty much this isn't working to her and to me it was sort of just like well what what positive example can come out of it. yes like what do we what positive thing do we turn to to look forward to right, right as hopes that everything's gonna be okay and she's going to survive.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a lot to take in.
1: Yes, yes. I was very lucky to have help from my family. We had my cousins take her to chemo. You know, everyone was kind of taking turns doing that. And from a financial perspective, like everyone pitched in as well. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky and fortunate to. To have a support group, I was not doing it on my own, Mm -hmm. but I would say that I was in those difficult moments when she was hearing the news it was just me right I did not want to make myself sound like the victim because I was not but as a caretaker you know it is very difficult in those moments because you do at least for me I did go kind of numb and I just didn't know what the right words to say to her to make her feel better right I hope that me being there with her did comfort her you know as right. much as as much yeah. as it could have I would like to
0: say, I think that it did help for you to be there. And sometimes you may not need to say anything. Yeah. And it's, I can see the challenge with being a caregiver because you're getting the news, you're processing it yourself Mm -hmm. and then like you had mentioned just trying to stay strong and be there and be supportive yes for your mom so it's
1: two different roles right yeah and you know like I just told her like I love you so much and like we're gonna get through this like everything's gonna be fine so using words of affirmation like physical touch everything I could do you Mm -hmm. know I was taught the five love languages and uh-huh. so I was trying just everything just to get her through another day and so that was around the July 2012 time frame after radiation she had a lot of, a lot of symptoms she started to just not be herself anymore it came to a point where in September that September which was only a month and a half after she got the news that the chemo wasn't working that she passed away during that month it was very difficult just all the medications that she was on all of the pain meds that she was on were causing you know the various symptoms of vomiting and just zero appetite she you could just Sense and feel like just not only her hope but like physically like not just mentally but physically just that there was a decline yes
0: it's really hard to see somebody go through that yes and especially so quickly too
1: yeah so yeah she the the medical team told me that it was time for hospice Mm -hmm. so we were at home at that time i was the one you know who rode in the ambulance to the hospice with her she was in a lot of pain so when we got to the hospice they did put her on you know medication that i was told would make her comfortable Mm -hmm. so we were there for three to four days before she passed and during those three to four days a couple of things happened that were really comforting to me i think one of the i mean that hospice they treated us really well and there were a lot of singing groups and choirs that would come by to our room and just sing songs like christian based songs that were really helpful during one of those times when they were reading the bible and singing songs that was about day three since since the moment we had gotten there to that point, my mom was pretty much, you know, she was in that mode where she's asleep mm-hmm. but unconscious, where she's not responding to anyone or saying anything. But on that day, that particular day and that particular uh, group that was there, she opened her eyes and she looked up and she tried to almost like sit up and she reached her hands out like towards the sky and she had a big smile and she opened her eyes for one quick second and closed them again, then went back to her bed. And to me, that was like, so
0: powerful. That's a really beautiful moment and to be able to witness that.
1: Yes like I felt so lucky to be able to see that because I felt like I really needed that Mm -hmm. and God knew that I really needed that because I do believe that we're going to go to a better place Mm -hmm. and just to be able to experience that and see that like it was just proof to me that that's what was gonna happen Mm -hmm. and it was so comforting and it gave me like you know like a sense of peace Yes, like such a peace of mind in that moment and i just needed that so badly like it helped me so much if it wasn't for that moment like i just don't know how much worse i of an emotional from an emotional perspective mental perspective i would have been after she did pass away the second thing that happened was that following day my brother and i were in the room with her the <laughs> We stepped out for a couple of minutes to just talk about what we were going to eat for lunch because he was going to go pick up lunch. It was maybe five minutes later, I walked back into the room and the nurse told me that that she had transitioned. Mm -hmm. She had transitioned to heaven. The nurse told her that it was okay, that everything was going to be okay. Allowed her permission to For it for it. And I've heard similar stories that she did that when we weren't there. It was comforting for me to hear from the nurse that like she was there in that moment mm-hmm. to tell her that everything was gonna be okay right I do want to thank like just all of the nurses that are out there that are doing those sort of things especially for patients that maybe don't have the family members that we yeah, and had the support. and the support that you know we were giving her Everyone can make an impact on people's lives, but I know that those professions have that opportunity to do so on a daily basis, so I really want to thank them. Absolutely, Absolutely. because
0: they do it day in and day out. Usually you're at a hospital, at a facility, when you're there at your worst, Yes, and that's when you need people.
1: Yes, that was sort of the journey and it was like i said it happened very quickly from mm-hmm. november 2011 to september 2012 it's so. a very short time period
0: Yes. It's been several years since that happened. But like you mentioned in the beginning, your recollection of all of that is so clear and vivid as if it was yesterday.
1: Yes, definitely. Especially those particular moments that I described. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Tanya, would you be able to share during that time period, how did you
0: feel like the journey impacted your mother-daughter relationship and how did it impact you?
1: Yeah, so I definitely think that, you know, growing up, I don't... not trying to say this as a negative, but in our household, it wasn't normal to show or express our love in the form of words of affirmation, like I love you, like I hope you have a great day, let's talk about your emotions today, like how Mm -hmm. are you feeling? That was pretty abnormal growing up, I think, just because of the culture.
0: I can definitely relate to that because my upbringing was very similar. My parents didn't really tell me, you know, I love you. There was, we really didn't hug. It's uncomfortable sometimes, (laughs) as odd as it may sound. So I, I do think that part of it is cultural. And it was just an understood love.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it was, we were working like family. Both of my parents worked a lot to provide for us and provide for the family. So it was, you know, work, rest, work, rest. But like you said, I mean, I knew that they loved me. It was just Like you said, it was in a different form, not in the form of physical touch or words of affirmation. It was almost like in the form of doing things for each other.
0: Like acts of service. Yes, (laughs) acts of service.
1: But you know, when you're that young, even in my teens and in my early 20s, I didn't have that conscience awareness of the various forms of love that you can give to someone Mm -hmm. and the various types that you can show it. Until I ran into the 5 levels languages and that was just such a powerful book for me and it really helped me because I was like well my mom and my dad I mean like they do love me and they always loved me they just did it in a form that maybe was not my number one or my but number it resonated team.
0: with them yes
1: yeah, but it resonated with them but for me like words of affirmation is I would say my top one as far as like our relationship I was a lot more open with her about my feelings about just the various things that that made me sad during that time frame, Mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, I know she was going through difficult time but I was also, Mm -hmm. I still and I think everybody still goes through stressful moments and so I was opening up to her a lot um, about my feelings in general also just every single day like telling her I love you I hope you have a great day Mm -hmm. kissing her, giving her a big hug trying to do nice things for her, like bringing her flowers or bringing her her favorite meal or giving her you know money to buy whatever she wanted that day so it was definitely like I was just trying to flood her with love and all directions directions that I could um, and that I knew of at that time and now that I reflect back on that I didn't know consciously what all the five love languages were at that time Mm-hmm. But now that I do, you know, it just makes me feel good about the things that I was trying to do for her Right. and just how our relationship for that, I know it was a short period of time, but it was like a very sweet moment, moments for me to be mm-hmm. able to do all of those various things. And I hate that it takes something so tragic to bring those kind of things out. You know, sometimes we have to go through some of these tragic moments to make some of those changes or to just learn more about how you can make someone feel better or make another person feel more valued or make another person feel more loved. But I definitely, you know, learn to love her. And show her that I loved her in that time frame
0: right it definitely sounded like you did just showering her with love from all directions like anything and everything that you can think of yes
1: and I think like I was saying I was very lucky to have family members also do favors for us left and right like bring meals to our house take her to church just because that's like that was her place where she felt most at peace just all of those little good deeds I mean there they're huge people think that it's insignificant like it's
0: just really small but for the individual who is on the receiving side it's huge for them like especially if it's something that they're not able to do themselves
1: yeah so I would say that that's that was the mom-daughter relationship during that time frame and I guess one thing that I just want to touch on very quickly in regards to that is that my mom had cervical cancer and for those who don't know it is very preventable it's caused by the HPV virus which you can be screened for and really if you're doing your pap test regularly the likelihood of the HPV turning into cervical cancer is less likely growing up and in my teen years there was almost like a bad stigma around talking about any kind of sexual thing Mm-hmm. or any any of those kind of STDs and those various things? Also in our culture, it seemed that like going to the doctor, um, we didn't really talk about those kind of things. In fact, a lot of my family members, they didn't want to go to the doctor because they don't want to hear that they have something. Like they just
0: the doctor is gonna find something. yeah, healthy.
1: <laughs> exactly. That was always the worry. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that my mom, that was her point of view. Mm-hmm about visiting the doctor so the last time she had a pap test was probably when my brother was born which was at that time 20 years ago mm-hmm. so I just want to share that with everybody that's listening to the podcast that cervical cancer is the one cancer I would say that it's highly preventable it's highly preventable yes
0: And it can be detected early. And I think that you hit on a key point that our comfort level, whether or not it's discussed at home, plays a big role. Because I can say that it wasn't really talked about in our household either. HPV, getting screenings, none of that. The little bit that I learned Mm -hmm. was maybe 45 minutes in the fifth grade. And it was more about puberty than (laughs) than getting screenings and things preventative. So I think that... That is so critical to have an ongoing conversation.
1: Yes, I pray that I get to live a long life and that I have the opportunity to coach my daughter through those various screenings as well because I just think about, you know, how preventable this cancer is. So I'm glad that you're speaking up about it and speaking openly
0: about it because the more we talk about it, the more comfortable it is among our family and friends and with our doctors when we do have issues and it's important to bring that up and not be afraid to speak up for ourselves Mm -hmm. so thank you Tanya Tanya, would you be able to share what you think first-time caregivers need to expect as they're caring for a loved one? Are there things that they can do to not wear themselves out?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I do think that just making sure that you do something for yourself is very important. I think that can come in a lot of various ways. For me, it was asking for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I know, at least for me, that was difficult. In my case, I almost didn't have to ask the help just came so I was very grateful for that but definitely you know, recruit a support team so that you're not in it alone and you don't ever feel like you're in it alone. I would say that's very important. I would say no matter which God you believe in, I think it's important to have a foundation that you can go to to pray or to meditate or whatever it is that you prefer. It's important to have that foundation throughout the process. A third thing that I did was counseling, Um, not during the treatment that my mom went through, but after the fact, you know, I hope that the outcome for caregivers is not death, but if it is, or even maybe throughout the process, it's surely helpful to have a professional counselor help, or even whatever institution you go to, the leader of that institution can help as well. You'd be surprised at just how many people at the various churches of all religions, you know, they just offer their help and their support with minimal asking like just tell them hey i'm going through this and you'll be surprised at just how many people show up at your front door to ask you how can i help Mm -hmm. so i would say definitely just try to recruit as many people as you can to help you and accept the help when people offer it so you're not wearing a specific individual out
0: you get to spread it yes exactly
1: (laughs) and then i think for my particular example i had just graduated school with my bachelor's i just started my my first full-time job out of college I had started a master's program before her diagnosis I was very overwhelmed and I guess my advice would be to try to minimize your workload if you're able to from a financial perspective just to have more time with that person to try to do as much as you can Mm -hmm. with the time that you have so that's something that I think like you said I did what I thought was best at that particular moment which was to help financially the family that Mm -hmm. time so my income was helping especially as you know just graduated college with my first full-time job I don't feel like it was necessarily an option for me to just quit my job and 100% be a caregiver because I was helping and supporting in a different way yeah you were pitching in and helping
0: the way that you knew best and that was necessary at the time yes
1: and I would say from a financial perspective also get help with that as well there's financial support groups specifically for cancer patients and patients that are going through cancer through, like, the American Cancer Society and all, a lot of various organizations that can help provide a lot of financial support as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess in summary, I would say the help from your community and from your family members is important. The second thing is just whatever institution or foundation that you have from a spiritual perspective is important. And then the third thing is is you know, there's a lot of institutions out there from a financial perspective as well. So just don't feel like you're in it alone. There's a lot of resources out there. Thank you for your
0: your insight on that. That's good to know. Tanya, there are a lot of people who are impacted by cancer, but they don't necessarily take the initiative to start a local organization like you did with the National Cervical Cancer Coalition. What was your motivation behind it? And would you be able to share some of the chapter accomplishments? accomplishment.
1: Definitely. So I know we were just having a discussion before this podcast about how there's things that happen in our lives that we can't control. Mm -hmm. But what matters is what we do to cope with it at that time. And then also after any kind of tragedy happens in our lives, like how are we going to respond to that? I think that is really important. So when my mom passed away, I wanted to spread awareness across the community because this cancer is so preventable. I wanted to share it with as many people as I could so that they didn't have to go through what my mom went through. Mm -hmm. I did some research and found the National Cervical Cancer Coalition, which is a national organization under ASHA, American Sexual Health Association. I learned that there wasn't a chapter in the DFW area, so I decided to start one in memory of my mom. The reasons why I did, it was to of course to spread awareness but also I think that was my coping mechanism because her memory would last right in that way and I wanted her memory to last in me (laughs) and in others that same year in 2012 we held a fundraiser zoomathon and each year we did it for five consecutive years it grew each year every single zoomathon we raised over two thousand dollars with some of the the funds that we received we were able to provide a grant to a local clinic that provides pap smears and HPV screenings to women that don't have insurance. Right. So we did the Zoomathon for five consecutive years, and each Zoomathon, we were able to raise over $2,000. There was an opportunity for us to provide a grant to a local clinic in our community that provided services to underprivileged women, underinsured women, to do pap smears and HPV screenings. So we were able to provide that grant to a local clinic the results of that were that with the funds we provided 62 pap smears and 7 pathology reviews were funded that made me feel so it was just amazing to get the results of what our grant was able to do Mm -hmm. it took a lot of volunteers to get these Zoomathons going it's a lot of work yes (laughs) it's a lot of work and I want to thank you as well because you supported all of those events another component of the event that I really wanted to have was having a speaker that could share their story whether it was a survivor story or a caregiver story or one year we even had a doctor that regularly sees cervical cancer patients to to share more of the medical aspects of it so each year it got the event got bigger and better and I think the end result was this grant and being able to see a direct impact to our community community in numbers yeah. mm-hmm. like that for me that was just so powerful and it's something that I'm always going to just cherish so much it's something tangible
0: yes and you are in fact impacting other women who may otherwise not be able to afford to get their screening
1: exactly and it makes me feel like my mom leaving this earth it didn't go in vain I guess mm-hmm. in that you know the the organization they put in a lot of hard work to do the these events. And like you said, we were able to get tangible results Mm -hmm. um, to talk about the impact that we're making to the community.
0: Well, I think it's just really amazing how you used your experience, your journey, your mom's story to turn it into something positive to help other people in the community.
1: Thank you. It definitely helped me in my grieving as well. The other thing that amazes me is just all of my friends and all of my family members that states, so close together and help do whatever they could during that time by supporting these events. Like like their form of giving back was to help with these events because they knew that it would help someone else. Right. So that was an, the other thing that NCCC did for us was it was a foundation for us to do these kind of events in memory of my mom, which definitely helped me, but I think it helped a lot of other people as well.
0: It's a, it's a really beautiful thing. That yeah. happened and allow her her memory, her story to continue to impact others.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, so I'm really happy. I we're not as active as we were the first five years. Um, the last two years. We have done like one event per year. Mm-hmm. I would like to have another zimbathon this year, towards the end of the year, mm-hmm. and kind of kick things off again. So I look forward to doing that.
0: Me too. I look forward. I look forward to helping and participating in that most definitely thank you and lastly Tanya I'd like to ask you is there a message that you would like the general
1: public to know I think that it goes back to the five love languages and then just showing each person in your life just how much you love them consciously try to figure out what is their love language or just love them with love in all the ways and shapes and forms that you know of because we don't know when our last day on this earth is and I think just in the present moment and be grateful for what you do have from a people perspective, family, friends, from your tangible perspectives. Like just be grateful each and every day and live in that particular present moment. I think that going through this experience for me and as I would say become more mature and live through, you know, various other hardships that it's important. I think to just when you're going through a tough time, the way to stay grounded is to take a deep breath, look around you, And instead of focusing on whatever negative thing is going on, focus on all the positive things that you have and the people that you have that love you. Try not to think about, I have these 10 things to do today. So you're not even living in the present moment Mm -hmm. and cherishing that present moment. You're thinking about all of the various things that you have to do that week or that month. So I know it's not easy to do that because I still struggle with that at times. But now, you know, with my my little family, with my extended little family, I try really hard to do that. And I tell my kids like that I love them every day and have a great day. Like I want them to be able to, for them to show the emotion towards me in and, and reverse. So I think just, I know I said a lot, but just cherishing the present moment and trying to focus and be grateful for all the good things that are going on in your life. Because I think we're all going to have hardships and we're all going to have struggles. Stressful moments in our life, but if you stay focused and be grateful for what you do have, then I think it makes life a lot more happy and enjoyable and worth living through Absolutely. these tragic moments.
0: I couldn't agree more. Or stated it better because you know where your focus goes, energy flows. So if yes. we focus on the negative, that's what we're going to look for all around us is the negative. But if we focus on the positive, if we focus on what we're grateful for, that's where our mind is going to go, and we're going to look look. look for those things and it'll help lift us up and help us with moving forward. Yeah. So thank you so much, Tanya, for sharing that, for sharing your mom's story, her journey, your journey, and allowing it to continue and to impact others. I know that your mom would be very proud of you and the difference that you're making for others and your family. I greatly appreciate your courage
1: to speak openly about it and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Nune. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm open to if anyone is going through similar situations. Like I'm I'm open to even be just an ear for someone because that's sometimes all someone needs. Mm-hmm. So thank you for this opportunity and I'm very grateful for this time with you. Thank you for that
0: and I'll be sure to include your contact information with the podcast post as well. Thank you. I also want to take a moment to thank our listeners for your continued support. Please encourage all the women in your lives to get their Well Woman exam that includes a pap smear and discuss HPV testing and the HPV vaccine with their doctors. And please share this podcast with others that you think would benefit. Please visit our website speakgyno.org and check out the resource tab for a link for free or low-cost screenings in your area. And as always, may we empower you, inspire you, and spark conversations.